coming off the top of the cage it is the top of the cage podcast i am bill joined always by my tag team partner my wrestling confidant and i looked up the word confidant the other day and i don't know if confidant is the word that i truly mean when i say this but it's justin juice cannon juice i I personally am super excited for this interview tonight. This is one of my favorite guys on the indie scene right now. I agree with that uh, for many reasons. His style, he's got that physical bruising style that I love, a stiff style, or snug style, we should say. Uh, he's, he's Italian, Italian-American, and uh, I can relate as an Italian-American. Uh, what's not love about this guy? He was, he's an awesome dude. I can't wait for people to hear this interview. It was, he's one of my favorites to talk about, uh, talk with. I could have went like another hour. You know that. <laughs> I don't know if we said it. Mike Verna. Mike Verna was the guest. <laughs> we should probably tell you the name, everybody. Yes. Mike the man, Verna. the man of steel, who is quite literally the man of steel. I mean, we, we get into talking about some acting roles, some dream acting roles and, he tells us a couple of good stories about how he's been told before he would be a good Superman. And I would have to agree. You should see the man in person. Google him. He looks if you like have Dean Kane, but more jacked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But we do not want to hold you back from this interview any longer. Here is the man of steel, Mike Verna. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's Juice from Top of the Cage, and we got another interview for you. I'm excited for this one. I got a fellow Irishman, and just, uh, I, I, did I say Irish? I'm going to say Italian. My name is Justin Luciano. <laughs> <laughs> Italian man here. Italian wrestler. I love my Italian wrestlers. Uh, <laughs> he's the NEW Northeast Wrestling Live Champ. He's a, he was a former chaotic wrestling heavyweight champion, former chaotic wrestling New England champion, Current Chaotic Wrestling Tag Team Champion, member of the unit, which is just running chaotic right now. He is the man of steel. It is Mike Verna. How are you doing tonight, Mike? I'm doing good. I'm feeling much better. I was battling, uh, believe it or not, I thought it was COVID. I thought it was the flu. But it ended up being a sinus infection that literally infected me. Uh, so I was banged up for about a week, um, and I appreciate you guys pushing this back a, a week for me to recover. I'm still a little congested, as you can tell. Uh, but, man, I was banged up, but I'm feeling good right now. I'm feeling good right now. We're in the Christmas season, one of my favorite times of the year. Things are going good. Business is back as usual. Uh, busy as hell, so I'm, I'm, I'm content with all of the above. What's your favorite Christmas song? Oh, wow. Great, great question. Um, I would say... If I'm going to be super cliche, it would have to be All I Want for Christmas is You, the Mariah jam that everyone hates. But I mean, that thing comes on in a bar in the late November, and the whole place is just vibing. So that definitely has a special part in my life, no doubt about it. I grew up on that song. The Kelly Clarkson one is good, too. I forget what the name of it, but it's, oh, it's more oh. You know what I'm saying? It's like... Doo, doo, I, doo, see, doo, I... Doo. That, one, that one's good. <sighs> I love Christmas music. And probably back in August, I made a playlist of Christmas music just because I, I was already now. in the studio. Okay, I hope for now because, see, that's the one thing. Summer and Christmas, I try to di differentiate those two like it's nobody's business. Summer is summer, and then as soon as it's like Halloween's done, 
it's just Christmas time. And then once January 1st hits, give me, give me like warmth. Because you guys know we're in the Northeast. I mean, are you guys based in Massachusetts? Yes, we are. So in New York, we get a little bit easier weather than you guys do. Very, very close, no doubt about it. It's not like I get 80 degrees in November or anything like that. I mean, excuse me, in January. But I mean, it's just brutal in the Northeast. I mean, the weather after Christmas is just, it's, there's nothing good about it. I think we could all agree with that. For sure. Uh, we'll transition to uh, wrestling. Nice little Christmas talk. Do you like being a face or a heel? I've never asked this before, but I, uh, I like that. I like that you went right right for it. I like that you went right for it. Um, so most of my career, I have a hundred percent been a baby face, and I've been a very successful baby face. Um, and that's why I've been a baby face for so long. But I've been doing this now for. I debuted in 2013. I started training in 2011. So I like to say I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been wrestling for eight. And as much fun as I had as a baby face, um, especially the fact that when you're over as a baby face during this generation, this era of wrestling, that's a good thing because everyone's kind of looking for the tweeter heel or the cool heel or the, uh, you know, the anti-hero baby face. Those are the guys that get draw, that draw the crowd, in my opinion, at least. I think it's pretty universally agreed. But when you find a genuine baby face that the crowd connects to, the crowd loves, all demographics enjoy, I consider that pretty hard. And I was doing it pretty successful for the better half of my career, the most of my career, to be honest with you. Um, but eventually, um, you got to have to change shit up. you gotta, you got to keep things fresh. And it just so happens that this particular 2021, most of my steady companies have given me the green light to kind of, you know, pull that trigger and turning me heel, which was very hard for a lot of companies to do because of the lack of baby faces that are, you know, quote unquote, over um, on the scene right now. And since I've been heel, I mean, I thoroughly enjoy it because if you really want to break the fourth wall, because to be honest with you, I don't even care. I'll just say it how it is. Um, your work, the work is a lot easier. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. You don't have to worry about pleasing everybody you know you you can piss someone off and then you can also look to the crowd and someone's digging what you're doing as long as you don't acknowledge them who cares they'll buy a t-shirt you're good to go uh, <laughs> so you kind of have the opportunity to really work a different style which i enjoy uh because not to get too off topic but i feel like during my baby face run especially during my uh most recent stuff um when things were really picking up and uh and being successful the workload is a bit tougher and what i mean by that is that you know, you turn on AEW, you turn on WWE, and you see the style of today being just a little bit more demanding, for lack of a better word. And it's not that I don't like pushing myself when it comes to the athletics of what we do, but it hurts a lot more 10 years into it. Um, it's a little bit more uh, physically demanding. There's no really other way to put that. And it's, it's a little bit unnatural in a sense and what i mean by that is is that you look at kenny omega you look at the lucha bros you look at guys like that and they can do every high spot in the world uh, with their eyes closed and you look at a guy like me who yeah i can get up to the top rope i could do some cool shit i could do some lucha runners and all that jazz but my strength is power and my strength is brawling and stuff like that and when you're a baby face you know you you push yourself to do things that the guys on tv do so well because you want to be just as successful as them but when you're facing that heel role, now you have the opportunity to kind of slow things down and kind of work to your strengths. And that's benefited me on the babyface side of things when I, when I work babyface elsewhere. Because it's like, instead of trying to put my body and do every single move in the book, 
I can kind of just do what I'm really good at and just work that into a baby face structure, if that makes sense. So, I mean, in short, not to be super long-winded, I love being a baby face because I do love the genuine connection with the fans. But, man, being a heel is uh, so much fun. I definitely want to bring up, because I think two of three last shows that I was at, you were at them. Uh, one was, it was like chaotic in Tuxbury. You're obviously yeah. healed unit. And then the very next time I saw you, it was in Beyond Wrestling. It was the good <laughs> As many days. Yeah. Yeah. As yeah, super lovable. Yeah, it's insane. Going to that show, um, that was the first time I heard uh, Gabagool. <laughs> I've made t-shirt. <laughs> I've seen the shirt. I, I've had to. I, it was a must. There was really no other way about it. Like, I must make a shirt like that. <laughs> you say that's your favorite chant? Yeah, it's definitely, you know what sucks, man, is that it doesn't suck because he's doing really well and I'm a big fan of his work, but Tony D'Angelo and NXT is kind of running, taking that ball and running with it right now, which I love because, you know, there is a, there's a big disconnect with Italians and Italian-Americans in pro wrestling. In other words, we don't get really the, the respect that I think we deserve. I go to Italy every single year uh, to wrestle. Um, and ever since the pandemic, I haven't been there in a year and a half, but I intend on going back this summer. But point being is the talent that is in Italy when it comes to pro wrestling to the core that people don't know about is just, it's a, it's to me, it's a sin. And they, obviously there's some bias to it, but you know, they're starting to get out there in the European scene and the more um, popular co- countries like you know Ireland and obviously UK where um, wrestling is more relevant and more popular. And they're starting to get more eyes on them, which is great, especially uh, to name drop a guy, Akira, his name is, and he was working with all Japan. And when I met him two years ago, the guy was, he was like this tall. He had no muscle on him. He was just learning. And now he's, he's got a great body on him. He's really just making moves out there. So that alone, uh, to me, has always been a goal is to kind of get that eyes on Italian wrestling, specifically wrestling overseas, because I think that there's a lot of talent. When it comes to Italian Americans, there's more of us than people realize. And I'm a big fan of the stereotype. Some people may find it offensive. I happen to love it. Um, it is what it is. It's part of my culture. It's part of my culture, and, and I, I love being a part of it. There's no doubt about that. But the Gabagool chant, uh, you know, I'm kind of happy that we had that before Tony D'Angelo uh, because I think, uh, you know, Rex and I are kind of getting over with it, and I love that aspect of it because it's just such a fun chant, and uh, you could just see the crowd kind of just vibing with it, you know? And I thought that was so awesome. It's like, we get to Beyond, and it's like, yeah, you know, we've been working with Beyond for a while now since at least 2016, give or take. So the fans have gotten to know us over the years, but they've seen us as heel. And now that we're kind of getting this babyface rub, this babyface push, you know, we're really connecting with them. And I love that Gabagool is the thing that connects us more than anything. Because <laughs> it's just entertaining. It's just one of those things that, to me, it's just a natural, organic, um, something I can naturally relate to. And as silly as that sounds, it's it's 100% true. Like, I just relate to Gabagool. So... Uh, you were talking about going to Italy for wrestling. Is that the farthest you've ever traveled for wrestling? And uh, what part of Italy are you wrestling in? So, yes, I would say that's definitely the furthest I've went. Um, before I did, like, you know, there's a lot of UK companies and stuff that have reached out. And, I, and I've tried to kind of parlay them where when I go to Italy, I kind of take trips elsewhere. But, I mean, I visit family out there. I make a full vacation out of it. So when I do my Italy tour, I like to kind of just do Italy and then enjoy Italy if that makes sense um, but it's definitely the furthest I've went to and to kind of break it down so I'm from the south uh, my, my family's from Naples which is closest to Rome 
So there is a company in Naples that runs that I've never got a chance to work in yet, which I'm dying to work there for them because I just think that would be awesome to literally have like my entire Italian family there to see me wrestle. And I'm, I'm fortunate enough that when I do come there, when I wrestle outside of Rome, uh, they drive about three, four hours just to come see me, which is awesome. Uh, but I'll always start in Rome because I'll land in Rome. I'll come, I'll see my family for about a week. I'll do one or two shows out there and then I'll work my way up north. So the more northern is actually where there's a lot more activity. There's company uh, Italian Championship Wrestling, which I believe is based out of uh, a town called Lodi, which is relatively small, but it's more it's like close to Bologna and stuff like that. And then there's a company out there that's really on the rise. No pun intended. It's called Rising Sun Wrestling. And that is more of the United States uh, independent style. It's uh, beyond style. It's, uh, you know, it's that fast pace. I hate to say fast pace because I think, you know, work is work at the end of the day. But it has that New York, uh, excuse me, that uh, United States uh, independent vibe to it. So I like that because a lot of the guys there, when I when I pair up with them, they want me to push them because they want that that United States feel. They want to feel like, okay, we can't go to America tomorrow. Wrestle us like you would wrestle back home. And they're great. Like I said, I mean, the talent out there to me is at least second to none. Besides Naples, because that's where your, your family's around, what's your yeah. uh, favorite city in Italy? Because I've only been to Italy once, but it was beautiful, of course. Uh, other than Naples, so uh, I would have to say it's probably Capri, which is I go a lot. I like to build my tours in the summer for this exact reason, because Italy in the summer is except for the beaches, because unfortunately in Italy, there's no sand in, mo- in most beaches. There's rocks. So it's not the best to lay out on. Let's put it that way. But the water is obviously gorgeous. I mean, you could Google it. And you can see that just that blue crystal clear uh, Mediterranean Sea water. I mean, it's just, it's gorgeous, but the beach vibe is not, I mean, it's not a beach. It's like, I said, it's rocks, but Capri is like, it's, it's, it's like an island city. It's the water, there's water everywhere. I mean, it's a, it's a mile high, high mountain that you walk up to once you get to the peak. I mean, there's a million restaurants, ice cream, I mean, you name it. I mean, honestly, anywhere in the South is just freaking beautiful. Uh, because it's just, it's it's the pure, like, it's the pure Italy, not to insult anyone else. Obviously, in the north, it's Italy as well, but it's more city-like. Like, I'm from New York City, so when I go to Milan, I mean, it's basically, it's like the UK, or it's like, it's like New York City. I mean, there's buildings, there's traffic, there's a lot of footwork, I mean, a lot of foot traffic, where down south, it's a lot of Vespas, it's very narrow roads, a lot of farmland and stuff like that, and it's just a lot of scenery, you know? It's a lot of, like, like just... Your typical Italian screensaver on Google is like, that's what you get down south. So, I mean, I get to, I, I love the fact that I get to kind of go all the way up and down. I mean, the only thing is I never went below Naples because I don't have family there. I have family more north. So I'll start home and then I'll kind of work my way up from there. But eventually, I mean, if there is, if there is wrestling in Sicily, I would go to Sicily. If there's wrestling in Cal- Calabria, I would go do that too. Uh, but for now, I kind of have my, my, my set companies that I like to do my tours in and, uh, and kind of keep that vibe growing out there. Just keep the scene moving. I want I, if, if if they could benefit off of my name, I would love to be a part of that. That's actually really cool. I, I really like hearing, you know, a lot of the people that we are interviewing, we typically have indie guys and stuff like that, but we never really have heard anybody talk about the Italian independent wrestling scene. So definitely so, a new one for us. And I, I tell you, it's going to grow. And I really believe that because, like I said, there are guys that are getting out there. And if you remember... So it must have been 2019 pre-pandemic. We had three Italian guys that were at Chaotic. Those are my guys. Those are guys that I helped bring over. 
from when they did a tour. They worked for Chaotic. They wrestled uh, Chase and, the, and, the, and uh, the Logan brothers, believe it or not. I believe if you go back, I'm sure it's on YouTube. But those three guys, like that's just a, that's just a nice taste of what the Italian talent is like. Vico um, Volardi, uh, Trevis. And Travis Montana, I think he called himself. His other name is Trish Travis. And then Jesse Jones. Uh, they were they were just, they were, they're talented as hell. And when they came in, they were supposed to come into America uh, April 2020 for a second tour. And obviously that got canceled. So, you know, I'm here to kind of help them get them get themselves back to uh, to America once the, the lockdowns are completely done. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're great. They're great. And I think the, the, the word is going to continue to travel. We will, I, I definitely will be checking that out. And uh, one last question just re- regarding uh, being Italian. I myself am also Italian, but I know we're talking about stereotypical things. So do you refer to red sauce as sauce or gravy? 100, it, see, I've learned this now because I, I grew up my entire life calling it sauce. No doubt about it. I've always, I've always. But I'm hearing now that gravy was actually more of a Jersey thing. So I'm from Brooklyn. So Brooklyn, oh. I, I, I really, I mean, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn. I have never heard someone from Brooklyn call it gravy, if I'm going to be honest with you. At least in my circle. In my circle. Um, when, it comes to, when it comes to Jersey, like Deanna Perrazzo always says she calls it gravy. And her people in Jersey call it gravy. So I always laugh. I have that argument with her. To, to us, it's sauce. To all the people, it's gravy. I mean, I think the Sopranos made gravy more of a relevant thing because Paulie Walnuts used to call it gravy. They all used to call it gravy. But uh, for me, I mean, it's, it's always been sauce. I, I, uh, if you want me to get really specific, if you put meat in it, it's considered gravy. If you just have it pure, it's sauce. I'll leave it at that. I, I still think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I'm Italian too. Like, <laughs> someone is like bolognese is gravy. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> That's what they say. No doubt about it. You'll hear Jersey and New York debate about that forever. So Justin and I were talking about earlier uh, watching you at the uh, Beyond show that happened. Jeez, where that happened, Justin? I don't even remember where located. A couple couple weeks ago. It was a couple weeks ago in Somerville. Somerville. Yes, that's what it was. Thank you. And uh, it was actually my first time being at a Beyond show. I don't, Justin, was it your first time being at a Beyond show as well? No, I went to Uncharted Territory once, like gotcha. a week. Really? That's I interesting did. that you guys haven't seen uh, a lot of Beyond. Yeah, because my, because exactly what you just said, Uncharted Territory. The fact that they run weekly. I know it's hard for people to get out on Thursdays, but uh, no, that's interesting. That's interesting. What'd you think of it? It, it was really good, like, the talent and the fact that every week they can get some, like, big names from, like, the AEW to come down weekly is really cool. And, like, um, just the roster setup. And it, it was – and even how you guys wrestle, like, actually, the question you can get to was, um, is, it, is it hard working that style where three sides yeah. of the ring, the fans are, like, up close, and you really only have one side where you can go out. Like, you really have to stay in the ring for the most part. So when, when you, that's a great question. That's actually a really good question. I've never been asked that before. When I think of the Beyond style, I think of it as back in the day, when I first started with Beyond, there was a perception of Beyond in regards to quote unquote Beyond style. And what the Beyond style would be referred to sometimes was incredibly fast paced, incredibly high risk, all that like mis- misconception of what 
Beyond Wrestling is. Beyond Wrestling is, is actually not that. It just so happens that Beyond Wrestling books the best wrestlers in the world, especially in the United States. Um, and they just, it's just their style is perceived as a certain way. Where, like I mentioned before, like my biggest success with Rex and I team over there, our biggest success is being big guys and powering guys and connecting with the fans. So in regards to that, Beyond Style doesn't necessarily exist from an in-ring standpoint. And that's something I wish that I knew and or I accepted rather when I first started at Beyond because I think I would have been able to kind of give different type of matches compared to trying to match everybody else on the card. Um, but in regards to your term of Beyond Style, um, with the fans around the ring, first of all, I think it's one of the best things in wrestling because, I mean, nothing is better. And not to get too off topic, when the pandemic happened and wrestlers were doing uh, studio tapings, that almost made me question uh, my career as a wrestler because I realized that if I'm not wrestling in front of fans, I don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. Um, fans literally drive the business. Fans are who we perform for. Um, we would not be where we are without the fans, and I'd never want to wrestle in front of nobody again. Um, so the fact that they're back and they're so up close and personal to me um, probably means more for me now than it did back in the day because I guess we took them for granted and we took them and we took that that up close and personal feel for granted. Um, so I happen to love it. Now, in regards to working with that style, I kind of like it because when you work TV. It's very different than working a live crowd um, because your main, your main focus is, as I'm sure you've heard this before, is to work the camera. Is instead of working 10,000 people, you want to work 10 million people. I mean, if wrestling can draw 10 million people these days. But my point is you want to work the larger audience, which is obviously on the TV screen. Um, so when you work beyond, you know, you're working the entire audience, which is great. because, Like I said, the connection is better than anything. But you're also realizing that you only have one side of the ring to kind of do anything on the outside. Um, and sometimes that changes. Don't get me wrong. It depends on the building. Sometimes if the building is different, like the White Eagle over in Worcester, like we have a little bit more um, boundaries to work with. We don't necessarily have just one side of the, the, the ring. Um, but a building like Somerville, where you literally only have one side of the ring, it just comes with the territory of being a professional where – you just so happen to know where you have to work and how you have to work and where your quote-unquote camera is and where your canvas is, for lack of a better word. So I personally don't mind it, but I can see where, as a fan, that would be almost uh, a challenge, in a sense, for you to kind of grasp, like, oh, wow, this, is, this seems tough. But I hate to break it to you, it's a lot easier than it seems. <laughs> it's a challenge to the wrestlers to not be forced to kind of dive or do something to the outside. Like, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm a brawler, and my style, I love to go outside the ring and get up close and personal with the fans and, and let them hear my chops and my shots because I think the realism of that um, connects to a fan more than any kind of flip or anything like that. Um, but that being said, credit to anybody who can do a high spot when it comes to the top rope. But it also challenges us to not rely on that, you know, debatable cheap pop, which sometimes is a dive or sometimes is brawling in the crowd or brawling close to the crowd. It lets us kind of, hey, get over in the ring. Let your wrestling do the work. Let your character do the work in the ring, on the camera. So I kind of like that in a sense. Don't get me wrong. If I can connect with the crowd by going to the floor, I'll do that any day. It's just an easier day at the office. But that challenge is always good to keep our, keep our uh, skills fresh. Yeah, I mean, that's, it is really cool. Like I, 
I we weren't up and close because some of those fans that in beyond that want to get to that ring apron, it seems like they're the first people in and they get nice and spread and they open their legs up a little bit so nobody can get next to them. And, uh, you know, even being like a couple rows back, you still feel how up close and personal it almost is. You know, it's it's really cool. A thing a thing about beyond back in the day was is that, you know, I wasn't around for this particular era of beyond. But back in the day, Beyond would literally just have the wrestlers at ringside. And that would be the audience. You know, the wrestlers would kind of cheer on the other wrestlers. And that was such a that was such a beyond like constant. Now that there's fans and and, and during the taping, taping situation, like I mentioned before, um, I had the chance to uh, you know, be an audience in that situation where I was able to kind of, you know, be in the crowd or, or whatever we considered a crowd in that particular thing and kind of cheer on the wrestlers. And it is cool. Like when I was sitting there and I was like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the crowd. Like I thought that was awesome too. Cause you really are up close and personal instead of watching other matches backstage on a, uh, a monitor or through the curtain, you're literally there. You're up close and personal and you're able to see what's going on. So being a fan for that type of match is always exciting because you, you feel it. Sometimes you get lost. And that's the thing about wrestling in general, even as a wrestler, if we can get lost in you know, that illusion of what wrestling is. I mean, that's what makes us keep doing. That's what makes us continue to be a fan. Going back to something you said earlier about, well, during this, um, you're talking about the effect of how a chop or just a big hit, the brawling style type moves can um, impact a fan more than a flip. I couldn't agree more. Like, I'm a big Samoa Joe guy and Walter. It's always been my dream to hear a Walter Samoa Joe chop live. I got to hear J.D. Drake. He's got a powerful chop. Uh, Dave Vienne's got a great one, too. Um, how do you perfect a chop? How do you perfect make the perfect chop? Uh, my chop, first of all, I will say this. Eddie Edwards was a name that was left out of that uh, that list that you just said. I've wrestled Davey. Yeah. I've wrestled J.D. I've wrestled Eddie Edwards. I have not wrestled Walter, but based, and even Eddie Kingston. Uh, they all have great chops. I'd like to add myself to that list because I'm, I cheat, though. I cheat. My sound comes from an overhand. I'm big on the overhand. I like to put the guy up on the guardrail, push them out, open their chest wide so I have a huge target and just chop the shit out of it. That, that is my secret because if you, do, if you do a nice overhand chop, like you're throwing a baseball to fucking home plate trying to get the guy out, it's going to make noise. It's going to make noise. So that that's my secret. And, uh, you know, feel free to expose it to my opponents because it is what it is. It just happens to be that good. Um, <laughs> but that's my secret. Guys like Walter and Eddie. When I wrestle Eddie, there is a picture that I need to find. I was trying to show him last time, uh, what were we, Tewksbury or one of those buildings. Um, and I wanted to show him, but it was me versus him in a company called The Dynasty, which was upstate New York. And they, they don't exist anymore at the moment. But I was their champion. He was TNA champion at the time. And we did champion versus champion. So there's a lot of photographers there and whatnot. And there was a picture of Eddie chopping me. And his hand is fully, fully indented into my chest. I'm talking about, like, vibrant. It's a great picture of a chop. I mean, there are pictures of, like, Walter chopping people on the internet where, like, you see his hand just, like, totally just engulfed in the person's chest. That's what it was for me. And I... I I love a good chop, man. I really, I love a good stiff fight. I just wrestled Mike Bennett on Saturday, one of my favorite matches of 2021. And we laughed because there was a moment in the match where 
we didn't call it. We didn't plan it. He just so happened to be sitting on the top rope. And he did his impromptu. He gave me the middle finger. So I slapped him. And he slapped me back. And we just started getting harder and harder and harder until we so both started maniacally laughing because we knew we were on the same page with like, I love this. Let's keep doing it. Um, and when we got to the back, I mean, we're like, yes, like that is exactly what we were going for in that moment. And when you match up with somebody that appreciates that stiff style, um, I don't want to call it stiff. It's, it's snug, but safe is the, the proper term for the boys to say. Um, it's that snug style. It's better than doing anything because it's the most connected thing. I mean, pro wrestling, it's either going to look like Cirque du Soleil or it's going to look like a back and forth fight. And I think transitional wise, if you hit a move and you pick a guy up and it goes right back to a, a defending type of fight strike style, I'll take that any day that, hey, I just did three jumps. I just hit you with a move. I'm going to pick you up. You're going to break my hands. You're going to whip me twice. You're going to jump over me three times. You're going to hit me with a drop kick. You're going to nip up. You're going to go to the top rope. You're going to hit me with 450. Some people like that. I don't. I don't. And, and truth being told, like, too much of that style actually draws me away from wrestling. It, it just, it's just not my, it's not what I grew up on. And I understand that, you know, obviously there's a, there's, everyone has a flavor of ice cream when it comes to wrestling. And there are fans that love that. And I don't blame them because to be honest with you, that style to me is the best athletes on the face of the earth. And I'm a big sports guy, that type of style, that type of cardio, that type of acrobatics, you're the best, you're the best athlete in the world. Uh, it's just not for me. It's just not for me. And I can wrestle that style. I've done it before, but there are people that do it 10 times better than me. So like that hard hitting style and that storytelling style through hard hitting, I think does wonders for, for pro wrestling. And I think seeing that come back a bit is only going to make the business better. I was about to say, it's really making a comeback with guys like Eddie Kingston and Walter, uh, you and Davey, like on the indies and to the pros, it's coming back. That hard hitting style is starting to eclipse that um, aerial high-flying style. And that's what I live for. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, I do too. Because I, I love, like, so many of my good friends are just so good at that style. And I respect what they do, no doubt about it. But if we can find a happy medium between that and high spots, wrestling would be the best thing in the world right now. And I think we do. I'm not saying we don't. But – you know, it's just, it's just sometimes the internet or sometimes the fan base just doesn't give it the credit that maybe it deserves, for lack of a better word. Um, but who am I to say that? I'm just saying, you know, that's how I feel. We were talking, I just want to ask one quick question. So we were talking about giving chops. Now, how about taking a chop? Is there, is there like a, any, like, I, I hate to again expose the biz, but is there any secret to taking a chop? Um, yes. And, I'll, I'll say this as bluntly as possible because I think uh, I think this is incredibly important. The number one thing you don't want to do is block it. You just don't want to block it. A, it sounds like shit because you're getting hit somewhere, whether it's your clavicle bone or whether it's your neck or the person ends up hitting your shoulder blade and you end up having a knot the size of fucking a baseball. Um, just freaking open your chest. A, a, for me, when I take chops like that, I get I, the adrenaline starts going. You have that nice handprint on your chest. I mean, I work out my chest for a reason. I want that big chest to have a mark on it. It just makes it better. It makes it look better. Work your ass off with that. Um, so that would be my simple answer of saying it. Just don't block a chop. If you block a chop, I'm only going to hit you harder. 
is you're making me sound weak. I'm only going to hit you harder. I know that's some people back in the day, I won't name names, but they would say if a person blocks a chop, turn them around and chop them on their back as hard as you can. Back chops hurt a lot more than chest chops. So keep chest open. That's the back chop. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> just just my, my, my opinion. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, I've gotten a five-star on the schoolyard before, right, in the middle of the back, and I definitely don't want one of those. No. You also, you also act a little bit. And I actually was watching yeah. one of your short films on YouTube literally like right before this interview. Huh. Indigo, I think it's called. Yeah. Yes, that's my that was my my most recent short. I did that in the summer of 2020, which was great because as you can expect, there was zero productions going on in 2020. Um, this was this was approved because of the the small crew and the the way that we were kind of able to monitor the whole COVID thing. So that was great, no doubt about it. Um, I enjoy, I mean, I, I don't, you, by all means, you saw us, you could speak on it, but I, I enjoyed that role a lot. Um, it brought out a lot to me, no doubt about it. It was definitely a tough role to do because of the craziness that he is, um, Diego, how he was, but uh, I had a lot of fun shooting that. So just, just to clarify, I think I get it, but um, a, lo a lot of your roles are like, uh, like mob, mob movies type of that. Was, is Diego, Diego is not Italian, right? Is he Cuban? No. Is that that accent? Did you hear that fake accent I had to put I, on? I did. He, he was some sort of, we never really clarified what he was. You know what's crazy? In hindsight, now, I think I think the accent was okay. I'm not going to say it was brutal. And the directors and the writers, they said the same thing. They said, we love the accent. It's good. It's broken because you're American, but you also have that Cuban, Colombian, you know, dialect. So they like that. I wish in hindsight, if I would have done one take in like, hey, I'm born in the Bronx, and then one take in like, I'm born in Colombia, and just see which one would have worked out better. Uh, but yeah, he's not, he wasn't Italian. That was my first non Italian gangster role, actually. Okay. I thought, I thought he was Cuban. I was getting Pablo, Pablo vibes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Honestly, my, my inspiration was Tony Montana, straight up. It just, okay. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to have that role, you better freaking study the best. That was my inspiration, no doubt. So going back to going to Scarface, I guess I'm gonna give you five just gangster movies. You can rank them or just pick your best. I'll say Scarface, Godfather Part One, Godfather Part Two, Goodfellas, or uh, Casino. Which one? Wow, okay, I'm happy you said the last one because that is definitely one of my favorites. Um, some people leave it out. Goodfellas is one. Casino is two. Godfather Part One is three. Godfather Part Two is four, and Scarface is Part Five. Now, granted, you just gave me one of the most impossible lists to ever rank, but <laughs> I would say that is, I would say that is my rankings, and I think most people will disagree with it. But that is mine. I mean, not to get too off topic, but Goodfellas is just it's just a masterpiece, and Casino, in its own respect, is another masterpiece because there's just so much, so many more layers to that movie. And I mean, first of all, Sharon Stone, one of the best performances I've seen. Like. Not to sound like a freaking Hollywood buff here, but ever since I have been acting as a career and, and, and having success with it, watching performances, I've had such more of a gain of respect of these actors and actresses because, I mean, 
I know how hard it is to, you know, portray anything really. Like, you know, to me, and my acting coach, Chaz Palminteri, said this too. He said, until you're famous, take every single role that is made for you, a.k.a. like stereotypical typecast roles. He said, if you're Italian and they want you to be a gangster, be a gangster. If you're, you know, uh, Latino and they want you to be a drug cartel, be a drug cartel. If you're an Irishman and they want you to be a, a cop or a drunken hoodlum, be a drunken hoodlum or, or, or a cop, so on and so forth. And he said, once you're famous, you can be a doctor, you can be an astronaut, whatever the hell they want to cast you for. Um, and it's the reason why I say that is because is for me, you know, to play in a gangster, an Italian gangster, I can walk out of bed and do it tomorrow with my eyes closed. Like, this is what I would do. I, would, I wouldn't put on a performance. I would kind of just make it as real as possible. You know, someone like Sharon Stone, who's playing a mob wife, or even, even De Niro, he, play, he, was play, he played a Jewish casino owner. He wasn't your typical Italian gangster. He was Sam, Sam Rothstein. He was, a, he was a, you know, they, they called him the Jew. Like, that's what he was um, in that particular movie. And, you know, to see their performances shift, to be something that's not easy for them to do makes you appreciate not only the movie more, but just the, the overall acting, which I mean, it, it's, it is what it is. It's freaking awesome. It's freaking awesome. So I really appreciated all that. I mean, Godfather part one and part two, they're so cliche classics and like so popular and they're going to be on everybody's night. Godfather part two is considered the best movie of all time. Uh, according to, I forget what book it is, but when they ranked, it's, it's considered the best movie of all time. So, I mean, that alone already makes me say, you're not going to be my favorite movie because if you're everybody else's favorite movie, it's not going to happen. And Scarface, Scarface is different uh, to me. And the reason why I say that is, is not because it's not an Italian mob movie. Like, obviously, I'm a little biased to that because that's the life that I grew up in uh, or around, rather. Not in, no one's in my family's in the mafia. But, you know, obviously, I was around that growing up. I, I can relate to it a bit more. But the Scarface thing is like, again, you look at Al Pacino. I mean, Al Pacino essentially did what I did at Indigo, just 10 times better. <laughs> just 10 times better. So, and I'm telling you, that role was hard. That was a hard role to play a psychotic drug lord that's not my accent. It's just not, it wasn't easy. And I appreciated it because you look at Al Pacino, he does it flawlessly. He does it flawlessly. And to me, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's a legend for a reason. <laughs> no doubt about that. How did you get into acting? Like, how did it, what came first, acting, wrestling? Like, Oh, wrestling 100%. Wrestling is the reason why I'm an actor. I never took an acting class in my life. The only performance I've ever done in school was a student-produced performance competition where the only reason why I did it is because I wanted to be around the girls. Um, so <laughs> that's it. I mean, I was, I was a captain of the baseball team. I didn't, I didn't have any time for theater, you know? Uh, not, not that there's any disrespect to it. I, love, I mean, now I fucking love it. I really do. I think it's one of the best things that ever came into my life, A, financially, and B, just as a passion. But the reason why I got into it is, you know, I, I, being in New York City, it's, it's what, second to LA when it comes to acting, modeling, all that stuff. So my agent was at a um, Evolve show in Brooklyn, New York. And he was out there kind of scouting. It was basically wrestling right now to, to Hollywood agents is a beautiful segue to film, TV, commercial, et cetera, et cetera. Because what we do is entertainment. What we do is showbiz. And on top of it, for the most part, some of us look very good and, and muscular and just have a, you know, the ability to kind of, you know, transition into, you know, modeling or acting, whatever it may be. So my, my agent was there kind of recruiting and scouting for just that exactly thing. And I got an email shortly after that show. And he basically said, hey, are you interested in, uh, in getting into modeling, acting, uh, you know, print, commercial, anything? And I said, well, I mean, 
I'm not against it. I just had no experience. And he said, that's fine. We teach you. We'll get you there. So I signed on with them. And uh, the rest is kind of history from there. I mean, I took classes. You know, once I started getting gigs, that's when my career kind of started really exploding. I mean, everyone remembers the Philadelphia cream cheese commercial from last summer. Um, you know, 7 million views on YouTube, 5 million views on Twitter. Very popular. I'm very grateful for that. And I'm very grateful for the fact that there's no doubt in my mind that the reason why it was such a successful commercial was because of the wrestling fans. Wrestling fans are more loyal than anybody in the world. They will follow a wrestler and watch what they do, um, no matter what it is. Uh, so I think that's super cool, and I'm super appreciative of them. Um, but ever since that Philly commercial kind of happened, I've been getting films. I've been getting auditions left and right. I've been in a ton of commercials since then. So, you know, I've been very grateful for that. And I finally am able to say that not only do I love acting, but I love the fact that it's kind of become a career. And I have wrestling to thank for that because I would have never gotten involved in, in acting at all if it wasn't for wrestling. That's awesome, man. Uh, final acting question, and I'll get to our final question tonight. What are some dream acting roles? I see. It's, I feel like Superman's probably one, if not. <laughs> I would, you know what's funny about that, man? It's like when I became the Man of Steel in wrestling, I had no idea the similarities and the comparisons and the tweets and everything that would come from it about the from, from people literally saying like, you, you look like super Superman. Like there are people outside of wrestling that don't know who I am at all. They'll be like, Hey man, you look like Superman. Everyone, anyone ever tell you that? And I'll laugh and I'll be like, yeah, that's my wrestling name. And then the conversation will begin. You know, I never, because what kind of dickhead will turn around and say, yeah, I look like Superman. Like, come on, give me a break. But I never realized how, how many people would actually see that. And, and, that is definitely, it would be, I'd be a liar to say that that wouldn't be a dream role because I think I would be able to do it a hell of good. But, you know, besides that, I think one of my dream roles would be, and I had just missed it too, because before my acting career kind of lifted off, that's when they were making the Sopranos prequel, Many Saints Newark. And regardless of what people think about the movie, I think that would have been such a great role for me to be involved in, whatever it may be. So if they come out with the rumored Sopranos prequel series, that would absolutely be a dream role of mine um, to land a reoccurring character in that would be, I mean, I, I, I'm just manifesting that because that's something I know I could do in my sleep. Definitely something like that. And then from there, I mean, sky's the limit. I've always, always wanted to be involved in a baseball movie always. Cause I mean, most people know baseball is to me, that's, that's, I mean, I don't think it can compare to anything. You know, I love baseball. Like, you know, that, that is my thing. A college baseball coach. I've coached high school for 10 years. Uh, the only reason why I didn't play college ball is because of professional wrestling. So, I mean, baseball is in my blood. Um, I do it as a job. I do it as a hobby. I play it still. To be in a baseball movie, I think that would be fucking awesome. Would there be a specific, like, story about baseball you'd like to tell? Maybe something to do with, like, a New York team or anything specific? I don't know. You know, I mean, like, you ever see the movie Little Big League or Rookie of the Year? Like those movies right there, they like they're based around kids, which is interesting. I wouldn't say that I want the movie to be based around a kid. You know what? Honestly, Moneyball was great. Uh, Moneyball with Brad Pitt, like that behind the scenes look at baseball, like more of a nonfiction story. I think that was so cool. Something like that would be cool, like a nice reenactment of the 1986 World Series shenanigans and how crazy that team was, that Met team was. That would always be a cool thing. But you know, I'm open to anything. Just to be able to put on a baseball uniform on film and kind of portray like a baseball legend that i mean that's kind of like that's fucking awesome 
That would be awesome, man. I hope I hope you get it, and I'll definitely be watching it. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Uh, time for the final question tonight. This is one. It could be a two-parter. We asked this to all our uh, guests. So it's a dream match. Uh, who would you want to wrestle? Any wrestler, any time, alive or dead, um, any era. It can be any stipulation you want. Who you're wrestling. It doesn't have to be just one-on-one, too. It can be triple threat for all I care about. I've, yeah. I've been asked this question a lot. No doubt about it. I'm going to give you a few. It's definitely multi-part question. My dream match would definitely 100% be John Cena. And the reason why I say that is, I, up until now, with like Roman Reigns really taking the ball, and even Randy Orton kind of like always being that number one supporting character, you know, side lead guy. I mean, if you wrestle John Cena in the main event of WrestleMania, that means you're a star. There's just no, there's no, there's no denying that. There's really no way to sugarcoat that, you know. Whether I work with AEW or not, or work with them rather, not work for them, but work with them, or my bias is with AEW, there's no denying that if you headline WrestleMania against John Cena, that's as big as it gets. That's as big as it gets. So that match right there, and I think we just mesh good because, like, like I said, like he knows how to tell a story in the ring. He knows how to tell a story in the ring. There's that. That's what I live for in wrestling. That's why I'm in movies now. Is that because you could tell stories? If you tell stories and you get that creative outlet especially in front of a live crowd. That's the difference between wrestling and movies is that, you know, a movie you can do a million takes and kind of get the right thing. In wrestling, there's no take two. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to do what you got to do. It's going to be an, it's going to be as organic as possible and you're going to work with the crowd. And I love that side of it. And I think, you know, being in a match with John Cena on that stage, you can tell any story you want and, and it, it'll work. It'll work. The second part to that question, I would say from a work standpoint, a technical standpoint, this is a hard one for me to say because of, uh, obvious reasons but from a strict in-ring aspect just because of the similarities in body the similarities in style uh the similarities in chops and all that good stuff i would have to say chris benoit because no one could take away what he does in the what he did in the ring but i would never give him credit for what he did outside the ring so strictly from a wrestling standpoint um, either Chris Benoit or Kurt Angle, because strictly by, based on size. Like, I pride myself on being a short guy who's very muscular. I, I think, you know, being physically fit, given the fact that I don't have the height as some megastars in wrestling, is essential, especially for my style. Like, you know, if I was a luchador, obviously it wouldn't matter. It really doesn't matter what you look like in wrestling anymore. And that, that, that's great. That's a great thing. But for me, I'm, I'm only going to benefit based on what I look like. So being, seeing those guys who are not only body guys, but being able to really work their ass off, uh, they can take me to school any day, and I'll learn. I'll learn. Especially with Kurt Angle. The other guy's a nut job, but I can't say his fucking wrestling was bad. Technically, you did qualify yourself for part two, because uh, <laughs> although John Cena is not a current active wrestler, technically, uh, the second part of the question is a dream match with any current active wrestler. So... It uh, doesn't have to be just a WWE or AEW. If it's an indie star you haven't worked yet, uh, again, any style, any stipulation, your choice. Uh, I guess now, because of the current wave of, of, of this person or this current buzz around this person, it would, be, it would be, I guess, interesting to see your guys' reaction or hear your guys' reaction. But I've always said, um, Cody Rhodes, I've always said that because I, I believe that, like I said before, my style is storytelling. My style is connecting with the fans, finding a way to tell a story in the ring, whether it's, whether it's through a, re- uh, uh, a wrestling hold, uh, you know, bleeding, cursing, you know, arguing in the ring, a uh, weapon. I mean, my point is, is that whatever it may be, 
that's that to tell the story is what I'm willing to do. And I, I think Cody, I mean, really doesn't have, there's really not many people that, that can say that Cody could, could put on a bad match. I mean, really, I mean, uh, to, I go back to him versus Dustin a couple of years ago at the pay-per-view. I mean, that, to me, that that's the wrestling I grew up on. That's a, that's, that's a, a story that you can connect to. There are two brothers, their father passed away, who was a legend. They're fighting for that dignity, that honor. They broke each other to blood. I mean, that's the wrestling I love. That is the wrestling I love. And I think, you know, the rap that he's getting right now with the fans, I mean, he's kind of getting that John Cena treatment, which, hey, it may work out for him in the long run. It may. You never know. But it, but it is one of those things that sucks. Hey, you're the figurehead of the company. You know, you make some decisions. You know, you people see a lot of you. It, it's just one of those things you're going to you're gonna get that reaction sometimes. But I think he's the type of person that can make the best of that and make that work. But I, I feel like, A, we would mesh great. I think we just have, we would have great chemistry. And I think we have that similar style where we can kind of really put together a match that's not going to – it's it's going to coexist the right way. I'll be honest. I'll, I am one of the fans that gives Cody some crap. But you're that – As you can. That's the beauty of wrestling. You have the ability to kind of do whatever you want. You know, I, I, I'll never say you're wrong for doing it. But one one thing I I will give him – you're right. Master storyteller. Um, he might yeah, have – Not to cut you off in an era where there's not – storytelling is not as organic as it was. And that's not saying for everybody. I mean, Eddie, Eddie Kingston can tell you a story with his eyes closed. But, you know, there, there is just universally wrestling, WWE, AEW, I mean, Impact, et cetera, et cetera, in the Indies. Storytelling is difficult these days because of A, how exposed the business is, and B, the lack of connection between the characters. I think a lot of people are drawn to wrestling based on their moves rather than their personality and their charisma. And... Um, I think that's 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 a big gap that we're missing right here. So yeah, I think it's storytelling. Not to cut you off, but that was my point. Yeah, no, I was just gonna agree with that and saying that really like people are getting drawn to like large move sets. But you think of the biggest names of wrestling all time, Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Stone Cold. These aren't guys who, who amaze you with massive move sets. These are guys that amaze you with their storytelling, their mic ability, what they did in the <laughs> ring, telling a beautiful story and meshing. Yeah characters perfectly and that's more five, important. five moves of doom five moves of doom for all those guys and they all work every single one i am a big proponent a big supporter of the five moves of doom you can't you really can't argue it especially since stone cold and the rock have three of the best matches of all time and those are guys yeah. that people, well they can't work in the ring i'm like well they obviously can because they're classics look at look at wrestlemania 18 rock versus hogan I mean, you tell me, you watch that match on mute, it means nothing. Watch that match on high volume surround sound, it's going to be the best match you've ever seen. And what they do? A couple of moves here and there. They jocked each other's moves, like what, people's elbow, you know, rock bottom from Hogan, stuff like that. The big fucking, you know, the ear and the, the flat. Like, that's what that that's about. That's the... You can't tell me. I, I don't remember the moves they did. The move, the match is based off that stare and then Hogan going babyface. That's it. And the beautiful thing about it is is the work side of it. The most iconic rumor uh, of that match is that once the fans in Toronto turned on The Rock, Hogan looked to him in the ring and said, do you want to fix this, brother? And mid-match, Rock goes heel, Hogan goes babyface, and they just naturally, organically finish the match with the same ending while they switch roles. To me, that's what working is. I don't give a fuck if we have to switch what spots we're doing. Tell me, tell me the crowd is reacting one way. That's a skill. That's a talent right there to me, in my opinion. Again, high spots and spots in general, most athletic thing that can be done. 
it just so happens to be my flavor of ice cream is seeing that story develop organically based on the crowd. Oh, trust me. We, we love that style too. But all right, Mike, we do not want to keep you for too much longer. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us tonight. I mean, we, we fucking loved having you on. Let's just be honest. Uh, I enjoyed being here. I enjoyed being here. And actually, we want to give you this chance to plug any upcoming shows, your social media, anything else you got going on. Yes, sir. Um, you guys can definitely find me at Man of Steel MV, uh, Man of Steel Mike Verna. Uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook is my real name. You can try to add me, but that 5,000 friend limit is kind of tough. So I don't know if you'll be accepted, but if I see it, by all means. Um, upcoming shows, I got a debuting show called uh, Expect the Unexpected Wrestling out of Ridgefield, uh, New Jersey, where the SAT will make me their in-ring return for the first time in over 10 years. It's insane. It's highly anticipated. It's going to be freaking awesome. Um, followed by... Uh, Outlaw Pro Wrestling, which is in Queens, and then back to Chaotic in Massachusetts, and then I'm going to finish the year off with NEW Wrestling, which will be from uh, Bethany, Connecticut, and that is the rest of my 2021 schedule. I definitely don't like to take anything too much more during December, because it is the holidays. I like to eat, and I like to relax, but come January, things get hectic again, and I'm sure uh, you'll be seeing plenty of those shows. Look forward to it, man. I'll definitely see you at Chaotic, at least. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, that was a fantastic interview with Mike Verna, one of the best on the independent scenes. Um, we learned, I learned a lot, not just about Mike Verna, but uh, I didn't really, really realize there was an independent scene in Italy. So that's nice to hear, so. If I ever go back to Italy, which I do plan on going back one day. Last time I was like 11, so I'd like to go back. Uh, I'll definitely check it out. Um, Billy, what are your takeaways from the interview? No, I, I completely agree. I, I thought it was really cool when he was even talking about bringing over some of the Italian talent into Chaotic. I mean, he he really was adamant about really showcasing a lot of those guys' talent. And I, I don't know about you, Juice, but I for sure am going to go out and actively search that match on YouTube and Definitely give it the proper watch it deserves. But other than that, I mean, the man of steel, Mike Verna, quite the guy. I love talking about how, you know, he's, he's not afraid to be a stereotype in his acting roles. And it's really interesting. You hear a lot of actors talk about that, that, you know, take every role you can until you're famous, you know, then you can be the cool stuff. But I mean, it seems like for him, at least, you know, representing Italian Americans in, in media, not just wrestling, but, you know, acting as well is, is, is important. And, you know, I, I agree. I think it's pretty cool that he uh, does that. I'm glad that he at least believes that the right uh, good Italian mobster movies are actually the right good Italian mobster movies. And it's interesting that gravy being red sauce being gravy is just a Jersey thing, apparently, but you know, everything in Jersey is backwards. So, uh, and if you're a wrestler from Jersey, you should come on and uh, argue that point. Especially Deanna Brazo. Especially Deanna Brazo. Or Tony, yeah, especially. Both, both, 100%. Deanna will reach out to us, I imagine. <laughs> that was a joke if you guys didn't get that. <laughs> Or is it? Or is it? <laughs> or is it? All right. Uh, I think just a final takeaway before we transition to our real finish um, about Mike Verna. I love talking movies. I know as wrestling fans, you want just wrestling talk, but I think it's nice to hear 
a little bit more about people and like acting movies is one of my passions i think wrestling movies and tv shows are probably like my three biggest passions and italian movies mom, mom movies i love them so uh hear him talk about that and also his his five is very similar to mine to be honest like uh maybe i'd flip godfather part two and part one i'm a big part two guy but casino and goodfellas being the one and two goodfellas being one casino being two <clears throat> i agree with that goodfellas is my favorite and uh casino is just underrated but that's all i'll say for that now we'll uh I'm going to plug our socials and uh, Twitter, T, uh, capital T, capital O, capital T, capital C, underscore, capital P, lowercase O, lowercase D. Instagram, we're a little bit more active than there. Definitely follow us on Instagram and engage with us. Uh, T-O-T-C, underscore, pod, all lowercase level, letters, levels, letters, not levels. And that's it for the little plug for socials. One final plug from me. We are doing wrestling awards, our own little award show. It's going to be a two-part episode toward the end of December. So look for the, that, the Google Forms. They're going to drop. Actually, they're going to drop before this inter interview comes out. But just keep looking for them. I think part two. There'll be two rounds. Round two will come out probably a few days after this interview so look for that vote for round two hopefully you vote for round one i'll be plugging them every single day to get as many votes as possible and that's it there's a lot of different categories look for those and that's it for me yes and that is it for me as well please make sure you guys are voting please make sure you guys are liking rating and sharing the pod as always and as we come crashing down to the mat on this episode of top of the cage we just want to say thank you again so much for tuning in and we hope we catch you next time